You're about to listen to episode 45 of Women Who Kill. Hey, if you like the show, definitely stop by Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. Leave a rating, leave a review. It helps a lot, helps new people find us. The more people who find us, the longer I can keep doing this. Our guest today, an important adult with an impressive life, a comedian, writer, and award-winning porn star, Sovereign Sire. Hello. How are you? I am good. I am caffeinated. I am watered. I am good to go. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh, Sada Abe. Sada Abe was born in, possibly, you know, these birth dates are always wrong when these stories go, for, go this far back, uh, but uh, May 28th, 1905. I mean, I th- that's probably about right. I feel like the Japanese are pretty punctilious Good record, about their records. record keepers. Yeah. The Europeans feel, fucking suck at it. Yeah. Well, it's a lot, of, a lot more laissez-faire, uh-huh. you know, Western Civ. Yeah. Eastern Civ is a little bit more on it. A lot more depends on who's from where, when, how, and why. A oh, lot that of is, uh, that is true. Yeah, power structures really are contingent upon <laughs> who belongs there the and who was there before. Yes. So, so uh, as you could probably tell by the name, Sada Abe uh, was a, a Japanese woman. Uh, she was also a geisha. Uh, at some point, she was a what do you what do you, what do you say prostitute. Um, I, there is the word in, there is a Japanese word for it actually that is different than geisha. Yeah. Oran, courtesans. So, I mean, this is an interesting point of departure because you mm-hmm. had oran, which would be sort of a high end courtesan. Right. You'd have a concubine. You could be a geisha or you could be a prostitute. And then as a prostitute, you could work independently. Right. Or you could work in a brothel. And up until the 50s, prostitution was legal in Japan. It was highly regulated. Right. So these were actual binding contracts. So if you became someone's concubine, it wasn't just a sugar daddy. You would have an actual contract. Okay. That so they were, a, you got a W, W2 and everything. Exactly. And so if you, if you left or you switched that, I think it's the right word. I'll figure it out later. Um, if you switch saddles, as it were, it comes with a financial penalty or you might have to go in the run or you might change your name, but it, it became a legal matter. It right. was a matter for the courts. And so, but it is also, you know, purists now will say that geisha are not prostitutes, that what men are paying for is strictly for the entertainments. And so geisha are highly trained in dance, tea service, musical instruments, right. singing, things like that. And the idea Poetry. is that, yeah, like they entertain the wealthy gentleman. And then based on how much money you have as a geisha, mm-hmm. you can afford to buy fancier ornaments for your hair, um, robes that have more silk than cotton. And these are things that really start to advance you up the line. And the higher up you are as a geisha, the less it is. The less you have to have sex with people. Exactly. Yeah. And now at a brothel, you just go in. That's like what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important to have that distinction. But in modern day, um, geisha would say there is no sex. So if you went to Japan today to a geisha house, there would be no expectation of sex. But geisha now is much more of a kind of traditional art form. It's like going to see um, folklorico or mariachi. Okay. It's, I don't know that many people can truly, truly sustain a living from it right. in the way that, that it was in its sort of heyday, I guess. So it was more of a per- performance art than... These uh, days, yeah. And so these days, yeah, there's not a lot of prostitution associated with it because it's, it's kind of something that... It's like a hobby. It's a, it's a thing that much older men go to as a, almost as like a Do you feel like they do it f- for tourists? 
mostly like I would imagine that that's probably a big thing and I think that even when you look at um in the world wars as American presence in Japan proliferated that's when you started to see this romanticization of the geisha mm-hmm. and the courtesan and this sort of you know the American soldier coming to visit so I imagine maybe through the world wars as soldiers were stationed in Japan and saw these very elaborate robes walking down the street and these del- this very very different from American women and right. European women and the, the paint and the hair and it's so theatrical mm-hmm. and the small wooden shoes and and I'm sure that there was a mystique that really kind of entered into the Western consciousness. So I think that we also have a tendency to really romanticize the role of the geisha in Japanese culture. Right. Whereas I think at the time that Sada Abe was around, I think it was blue collar work. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't, she had an older sister that was promiscuous, so the family sold her into a brothel. Yeah, that was a And thing. then she that came was, back out. That was common. And that was, it was legal, it was common. It was, so it was a great way to make money, yeah. you know, because you would basically became an indentured servant. The brothel would pay your family a sum of money and then you worked it off and then you would come back home. And that was not an uncommon punishment for wayward youths. Well, her brother you know? was also, her brother was uh, a notorious womanizer Actually, almost every man in her life was, uh, but yeah. also uh, an embezzler, and uh, right. he he bankrupted the family, and they were just like, oh, to run well, off with a prostitute. That ironically, yeah. to, he ran off with a prostitute Aww. when he did. Ironically, yeah. But so the thing is, she was obsessed with geisha before she ever became one. Like as a little girl, she was obsessed with it, uh-huh. and fancied that she would maybe. She would do her hair, and she would do all the arts and all these things, and her mom would pay for it. And ironically, when she ended up being sold into a geisha house later, she was like, yeah, it was nothing like what I thought. <laughs> like all the Imagine romantic. Yeah. yeah. Because she, the, I think the story of, of her life is that she was never, she, it never quite worked out the way she wanted it to. Right. You know, like she always had these aspirations of being, I think, a great beauty or a great courtesan or a great uh, glamorous woman. And she was always just punching just like a little bit above her weight, uh-huh. you know, and, and those desires were always just frustrated, like just like when she was 15, she was sexually assaulted by uh, some people say 14, some people say 15. 14 or 15, but he was a higher status right. college student. And she said he didn't force it was acquaintance rate, but she didn't feel she could say no. But then her mom went to the family, the guy's family, and he just denied anything happened. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that, that there was some part of her that was hoping that if she gave in to him, he would be forced to, to marry, marry her. And her then away. she would get that higher status that she really wanted. Mm-hmm. And when he wouldn't do that, it put her in a position to now, she because she's no longer a virgin, she couldn't marry above her class. She would have to settle for her class or lower. Though and at that, the time she was middle upper yeah, class. Yeah, like she still, wasn't, so it wasn't exactly. A bad thing. So it's like she wasn't doing that's why I say like she was always punching like like just above her weight and she always wanted like just a little bit more than what she could have. Uh-huh. You know? And so and not to say not to victim blame or say that she wasn't sexually assaulted, but I would argue since we don't it's all lost to time and most of the records we have are records from confessions and, and and court proceedings so everybody is an unreliable narrator mm. because everyone is has different motives when it when the case came to a head everyone had different motives in what they were trying to accomplish mm-hmm. in telling her story now she was uh, her parents were especially protective of her because 
uh, well, her mom was at least because yeah. she was uh, the youngest of uh, of. Initially, there were seven si- siblings. Four of them died uh, right. in childhood, so she wasn't the youngest originally, right. but became the youngest by default. Yeah. So it was her and uh, her brother and her sister. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that her sister was promiscuous and then was sent to a brothel and then came back and then was going to take over the family business. But then because the son had run away with a prostitute and the family money, but then he came back at the last minute saying that, no, he did want to take over the family business after all. Right. Or maybe that's when he embezzled. But he had run off at one point saying he just wasn't interested. Then they were like, all right, we're going to give it to the oldest daughter, which was very untraditional, but they were going to give it to her. So she straightens up. She's flying right. She's going to take over the family business. Then he comes back in, and because he's the boy, even though he's a complete dumb shit, they're like, okay, yeah, never mind. So I that, feel like, so it, that I older feel like things still work that way here. Yeah. <laughs> and so the older sister's like, okay, fuck my drag, right? Uh-huh. Like, you know, she's just like, okay. So then he promptly embezzles all this money. And while all this is falling apart, she's out running around. It, it, w- what struck me in reading these stories is, you know, we think of Japan a certain way, but that's a lot of fucking and prostituting uh-huh. and embezzling and crime. I, I'm for, you know, at this time it would probably would have been the twenties, right? Like, so for the 1920s, a lot of a middle class family. I mean, this actually, these seem kind of like champagne problems, uh-huh. you know, but they're, it's definitely a different world, right? Where clearly prostitution and sex and these things aren't as verboten as we like to think of them as being Yeah, because, because they're, they're all these people in one family, like they're all kind of recklessly conducting themselves this way. So it, it makes me wonder kind of Well, the war was also about to start. So the Japanese government was a little bit more lax than they normally were on issues of, uh, of sex and propriety. Right. Uh, because everyone just wanted to be distracted from the fact that uh, they were all going to maybe die soon. Right. That's true. I think my grandfather was uh, in World War II, and he talked a lot about how... Your grandfather was in World War II? Yeah, he was Which a side? spy. He was a, French spy. <laughs> he was a French spy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. But he talked a lot about the the effect of the atomic bomb and just like that that in those two wars, like back to back, mm-hmm. that he's like, you, you, it's impossible to understand what a paradigm shift it was to, to understand and comprehend Yeah, um, that we could literally annihilate ourselves. He's like, yeah. that, he's like, there was a time before and then after. And if you didn't live through it, you won't understand what it was like in the before time. I mean, I still feel that way all the time. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, <laughs> he's like, he was like, oh, I was, he helped found Okinawa University on, uh-huh. and he was like, oh, that island that shit was crazy. Yeah. People were fucking like, he's like, people were, he's like, anything you think you do now as a young generation that you think is wild, you have no idea what we were getting up to because we all thought we were going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's like, there was just no, it was wheels off. Yeah. Just, you know, everyone was like, oh, we're going to die. Like, we can do anything we want. He's like, I'm, he's like, it was just insanity. Yeah. He's like, everyone was addicted to heroin. Everyone was having sex all the time. You know, it, people were abandoning families. He's like, there are so many stories that people would just like walk away from their families. They would. It's not funny, know. but it's funny. Yeah, but it was like it was very much like this. Um, the the beat culture kind of emerged from that. Uh-huh. You know, that whole sensibility of of it's all that nihilistic point of view and kind of yeah, marriage and and any traditional things about uh, morality are all up on the table. Mm-hmm. They're all up for debate, and so. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, this is the fomenting. This is like right when that's bubbling up. And it is the Roaring Twenties, even if it is Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, her parents also got her, uh, made her take a job as a maid uh, mm-hmm. to uh, a richer family at some point. And uh, 
she she got fired from that job because uh, she decided to steal all their money and jewelry uh, that she could find. And, and yeah, and away. she she took a kimono and was like walking around town like it was nothing. Yeah. which is foreshadowing because it you see like this very impulsive crime. It's very impulsive. Uh huh. You know, and she's still a teenager at this point. Yeah, is I think it's fifteen or sixteen, mm-hmm. and it's it's an impulsive crime. But it tells you the grandiosity of it. She wanted to be the lady of the house. Right. So she wraps herself in the kimono, the jewelry, and just walks around. That makes no effort to hide herself uh-huh. or to hide her crime or to do anything with the money. But it was frivolous. I mean, she wasn't trying to steal the money for something or mm-hmm. to spend it on something in particular. And usually when women are involved in crimes like that, that usually the motive is some kind of interpersonal relationship and some kind of economic desperation. Right. It's, a method of escape. Yeah. It's it's unusual that that women just will engage in these kinds of crimes just to on on impulse. I think that women don't tend to be as impulsive as criminals mm-hmm. because the consequences of our behavior are usually so much more rapid and 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 uh, astonishing in our lives. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> when we have suffer consequences, that's it. 17, she's delivered to the geisha house by a friend of her dad who, on the way there, rapes her. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. That would make sense. So that was her... her but then it's, oh, a man left alone with a woman. I mean, what else was he going to do with himself? <laughs> it's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really dark. Yeah, and I, I think this, what happened here is is because she didn't have the money and stuff, it's like she wanted to be the high-ranking geisha. Right. It couldn't cut... Couldn't cut it. Well, because uh, most geishas apparently started training as soon as they entered their their teens. Yeah. So 13 was when they started. And by the time they were the age that she was at this point, they were already almost done with their training. They were pros. Yeah. So she it it was like she was going to college at 30. Yeah, well, exactly. And and so the the indulging, like the classes and the things she'd been doing at home with her mom where she was trying to imitate geisha culture was, I mean, it was child's play. It right. wasn't actual training, which is more like about her character, which is she she wanted, she didn't want to do any of the work. She wanted to sort of dabble. She wanted to sort of waltz into a, attention and adulation. She wanted and, to cruise and, on her personality. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that what led her to her crime was that first it, the, the, when she's 15 and the college boy is like, nope, didn't do it. Never seen her. Don't know her. You know, yeah. that was the first kind of slap in the face of of you're not good enough, you know, to to you're not enough. And then when she goes into the geisha house and she's behind everyone, you're not good enough. So she's the one that ends up having to suck all the dicks while the yeah. other girls get to do all the dancing. Yeah. And then she gets syphilis. Yeah. Which is like you can't. You can now she'll never be a high ranking geisha, you know, because they couldn't at the time the treatments for that were like three mercury. to four years. Yeah, three to four years she she contracted syphilis, and uh, at this point it was controllable but not curable. Yeah, at this point, and what they required when their girls contracted anything was that they be subject to regular health inspections. Makes sense, uh, but. The only advantage that being a geisha had to being a, a legal prostitute, a state-sanctioned prostitute, was that uh, they didn't have to have those tests. So right. she figured, if I'm going to be getting tested all the time, why don't I just go make more money right. and be a, be a free agent, so to speak? And quote, quote, switch saddles. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was when she made the move to uh, shogi. 
they were called the the state state sanctioned uh, sex workers were called shogis. Yes. So yeah, and there, but there too, she frequently would try to fly under the radar there too. Yeah, she, she would rob people. Oh yeah, she was she was she was fully she invested. Drug and rob people. <laughs> what I think too is again, it's that sign of someone where okay, I'm not good enough. Society says I'm not good enough. First I get raped, then I get raped again, then I'm in the geisha house, then I get syphilis. Mm-hmm. Fuck all y'all. FYM, fuck all y'all motherfuckers. You know, like that sort of, if you've ever seen Fear of a Black Hat, that's an amazing reference I just made. But, Wait, um, if I what? <laughs> if, uh, if you've ever seen Fear of a Black Hat. Oh, I haven't. Oh, it's so good. It's a mockumentary, but there's a rapper in it that makes, writes a book. It's FYM. You know, when you're like walking around the hood and some bad shit happens, and then some more bad shit happens, you're just like, man, Fuck y'all, motherfuckers! <laughs> I might check it out. It sounds funny. <laughs> it's really, it's a really, it's really great seminal movie. Uh-huh. You'll recognize like everyone in it. They oh. went on to do amazing stuff. So you can see that like where this is building, this kind of rage mm-hmm. and and anger and kind of it's not fair. And she did keep trying to also be a waitress and do other stuff. Like she would keep trying to kind of leave. Well, she, yeah, she would run away. Yeah, because she didn't they really had, like, like bounty being... hunters, right? Who yeah. were like, uh, we think you have something that belongs to us. Right. Yeah. And and so she's she's chasing down debt. She's dealing with syphilis. You know, she has no resources. She can't go back to family. Um, and all the men in her life have consistently just, you know, she's, her sexuality has always been commodified. I don't think she ever liked being a sex worker. I don't think it was work that she in particular enjoyed. That's why she kept trying to do other stuff, but it just wasn't. I don't think she liked work. (laughs) Yes. True. Exactly. And there's a lot of those out there. There's a, like, in porn all the time. I think she didn't realize that sex work was work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and that's true today. There are many, many of my coworkers that do not realize <laughs> that we are on the job. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we need to pay taxes. <laughs> and you have to work for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so her contract ends in 1932. Finally, after she gets dragged back to uh, finish out her contract. Uh, so then she chooses to remain uh, as a she show. Uh, unlicensed, illegal, yeah. not state-sanctioned uh, sex worker. Uh, and that same year, her mom dies. Okay. Uh, so she she goes back to Tokyo for the funeral. Uh, and... Uh, Isn't that where she meets? She meets... Because she has... There's, there, were, there were two benefactors before the restaurateur. Well, after her, her dad dies is when she, she meets the first guy, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so she yeah, like she meets she meets the first guy and becomes a concubine to him. Right. Like and that's contract. Like a contracted thing. Yeah. And this is where the story gets interesting because it's like when she starts really telling the story that like And this is around nineteen thirty uh nineteen thirty six. Because her her mom died in uh in thirty two, her dad died two years after that. And she actually stayed with him, nursed him. And see, because he didn't deserve it. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I feel like that's you know. Um, I mean, maybe she's working out her daddy issues. Yeah, you know. But I, I mean, it's not the thing where it's like somewhere always the dutiful child, the woman is expected to come back and uh-huh. and provide that caregiving role. Yeah. But also, I think you know, I'm sure not having to pay rent and just 
you know, take care of her father was probably easier than being out on the street and turning tricks. Yeah. So mm. there was probably like an incentive there that was simply, and I'm sure the whole time that she was doing it, she was still trying to figure out what she was going to do next. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I say I don't think she likes sex work is because after this, it becomes men. She's trying to find concubinage with, with men yeah. in these long-term situations as opposed to brothel work. True, yeah. She's you looking know? for more uh, long-term structure. Yeah, and kind of, and, and these people, but the problem is it's nothing. It's like, I think the problem with Sarabe is life is never as glamorous as she wants it to be. Yeah. You know, like she, she wants that excitement. You know, I think there, there's certain personality disorders where, you If know, there were pop stars at the time, she would have just been a pop star. Yeah. That would have been her dream. That would have been her life's dream would have been like a K-pop idol or something. Yeah. You know, that would have been. Lip sync. Yeah. Like it wouldn't matter what. For, but I th- you see it in L.A. all the time. People that they just want to be successful. Instagram famous for no reason. Yeah. Like but in L.A. you see it all the time. People just want to be successful. They yeah. don't care at what. Yeah. Um, and they're chasing this idea of success and notoriety. And but the problem is when, when you don't get it, then you have nothing to sustain you. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times success is very long periods of of no success. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then. You know, so it's it's like people that walk around like I'm an actor and I do this and I do that, as opposed to people that are in like acting studios doing scene study and going out and being in plays and auditioning constantly. Yeah. They're like working at it because they care about being an actor, as right. opposed to people that just want to just want to be on TV, but they they don't care about the craft or anything. And so it's like if they never get a TV show, they have nothing to sustain them in those those periods when they're not successful right you know and and i you see it everywhere but this i think she kind of to me is a complete personality type it's like i know exactly who this person is that's funny you know what i mean this impulsive criminal not to be malicious but just because for her there are no rules yeah um and that you know rage is always justified doesn't like to work doesn't have a sense of boundaries, you know, and and part of that has been imparted to her by a culture, a patriarchal culture that infantilizes women and that is her sexuality has been commodified since she was young. And then she saw it with her older sister before she was even sexual. Right. When she's still a child, she watches it happen to her sister as soon as her sister becomes sexual. So she's she's been inculcated into a system that says, like, you don't really have any power, but there's also not really any consequences because you're not important. You're just mm. a woman, yeah. you know? So there's always someone to take care of it for you. Mm. There's Your dad owes the money. Yeah. You know, if you run out on the debt, we'll go get it from your family. So it also encourages a kind of a, an attitude that sort of says, well, I'm completely powerless, but that's good and bad because yeah. it means there's no consequences for me, you know? Yeah. You know, when you've never had anything, how can you appreciate losing it? Mm-hmm. And so how can you appreciate the value of property when you've always been property? It's like, so I took your kimono. Who cares? You know, <laughs> because like, cause she's never had anything to lose. So yeah. how could she even identify with the feeling of theft? Wow. Like what? You know what I mean? Like how it, it, I, you can see how it would be just kind of. It just wouldn't make sense to her. Just yeah. be like, oh, she she just wouldn't let me use her stuff. Yeah. You things, know, things are things. I love these quotes from the. So she's so she's arrested for illegally operating and then yeah. she gets bailed out by. It's a friend of the brothel owner, right? And he's attracted uh-huh. to her. Kashihara Kinosuke. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the the remarks is that she she wa- needed to have sex two to four times a night. He had to always have his hands on her vagina. Yeah. And it was great at first, but then exhausted. After like, a couple weeks, he yeah. got a little exhausted. Yeah. Which is like day two, pal. Come on. <laughs> Let's be real. 
But in, <laughs> in a court testimony, like I, the thing is that she is a slut and a whore. And as what she has done makes clear, she is a woman who men should fear. Which Yeah, all of a I sudden mean, he has that opinion. I, I mean, I would have that on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> a slut and a whore. And a woman who men should fear. And he was he That's was pretty married, testimony. but wouldn't let her see anyone else as long as she was seeing him. Right. Which and this is kind of the beginning of the mythos of Sada Abe, which is where it goes from criminal to deviant. Mm-hmm. Where it's it, this is where the beginning of the mythos starts to take place. Like she because of the adultery, she needed sex this much, and she was exhausting. And so it starts to it starts to paint this picture of this woman that's so sexually voracious that it makes her erratic and like, well, I need another lover. You can't do it for it. So it's you start like this is where it's beginning. And I think you know, to um, to we're no words like nymphomania today. Mm-hmm. They're commonplace. We talk about sex all the time. But if you imagine in the 30s in a Japanese culture that's still very patriarchal. The idea of a woman having sexual needs to start with, mm-hmm. let alone voracious sexual needs, is very, very scandalous. Yeah. I mean, it's just unheard of. And so it's, I mean, he's describing that like four or five times a night. And I'm like, that's a, that's a typical female appetite if she's into you. Like Every night? When you first when you first meet, right? When you're first really into someone, I mean, you're fucking all it's the really time. It's really time consuming. I don't you know. know. And then 36, so she's like 25. She didn't have a job, so. You are into someone. Yeah. Like, you want to fuck all the time, yeah. you know? Like, that's not necessarily, and I mean, now it's a trope that the woman has to, after the guy's done, she has to grab her vibrator and like, let me handle it because uh-huh. you didn't do shit, you know? That's like a trope now for us. Uh-huh. Like, in every sitcom, it's like the husband rolls over and goes to bed and the wife's like, now what? <laughs> so... Well, it was crazy to them at the time when I'm reading this. I'm like, so she had a typical appetite, which is she wanted to fuck more than the dude because uh-huh. he had a bad refractory period or after he came, he got tired. And, and he had a wife. So so he was doing double duty yeah. as well. Yeah. Because he's like, although I imagine the wife probably was, I mean, a lot of these marriages were very much for position in society. Mm-hmm. So I, I doubt he was really tapping it too hard at home, mm. you know, and who knows? I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, we always think of if it wasn't written down, it didn't happen. But I feel like people have been the same since the beginning of time. So I think adultery, affairs, swinging, open marriages, mm-hmm. all of these things, polyamory, just because we have names for them now doesn't mean people weren't doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just they just weren't codified and they didn't have like a newsletter. Yeah, you, you know, know it's what like I mean? people say about a uh, uh, gay people and trans people, right? And yeah, it's uh, these where things. Did, have where did you existed. guys come from? Like, eh, there's just yeah, it's we've always been now. There's here. a word. Yeah, it's exactly. So she threatens to leave him because she's she's like, hey, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna do this shit right, I should be able to go find someone else to do it. And he says, if you do that, I will stop paying you. Uh, so she is left. Well, there's that's a bait. It's, Part of it is this that she runs away yeah. because she would owe him money because it's a contract. But so if, she, like, if she just ran away. So uh, she had to go into hiding because she changed her name. And, and Because he was like literally a bounty hunter. Yeah. For the government. Yeah. <laughs> she, that was a bad decision. I mean, she wanted excitement. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. But so then, she, so then she moves to another place and that's when she meets um, Goro Omiya. Omaya? Omiya? 
Uh-huh, Omiya. Omiya. Yeah. Who's a professor, but I think This is more, when she starts working as a, a waitress again. Yeah. But I think what's more important is that he's an aspiring politician, and I think that is probably what was more interesting to her. And a high school principal. <laughs> Just a right. fucking nerd. And a banker. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so a virgin. And he was the one that was... He wanted to support her in leaving the sex industry. Mm-hmm. He had political ambitions. Um, and I think that would have been her jam because everything about her seems to be like wanting more, just the status. Yeah. The status of being belonging to a politician or whatever, you know, like that that would be the lure for her would be like one, she'd get to leave sex work, but two, that she would be partnered with this person that had some sort of political influence or power. I think that's the kind of thing that really kind of motivated pretty much anything she did was an element of danger or status. He was also um, a a customer at the restaurant that she was a maid for. Right. So. And then, like, I think that's the other thing with, like, the the Sada Ebi is, like, all of the, all of her dalliances, like, these. Are workplace romances? Workplace romances. And, yeah, exactly. They're they're directly tied to her economic survival, Mm -hmm. you know. And, and I think. Now we know more we talk about sex work and self-care and all this kind of stuff, and especially with the Me Too movement and everything going on, like there's now a very public dialogue about the nuances of power dynamics and sex, mm-hmm. you know? And But it's interesting when in reading the different versions of her story that are written at different times in history, and you can see where these biases are at play because the way she's characterized really starts to shift over time when we as our understanding of these kinds of nuanced differences in power dynamic and what the effect of tra- like post traumatic stress uh have on people that work in using their bodies mm-hmm. and that you know when you do sex work within a patriarchal system in which you know the body becomes an interest an instrument or a place in which power is is acted out and the body absorbs that and the brain absorbs that as different kinds of trauma at times. You know, that it's like whether, you know, getting groped on the beach by a stranger versus getting groped by your boss who pays your, like these have different effects on, on your, your mind, you know, mm-hmm. that what, like they could both be stress, stressors, but one is far more stressful than the other. And that, and that what we're learning more and more about, like with prisoners of war and people in prisons and stuff like that, is that, you know, the longer people are subjected to stresses, the more it deteriorates their personalities and their coping mechanisms. Now so, keep in mind, she also still has syphilis. Yes. <laughs> so that's right? not making shit any yeah. easier. So she's also frequently like, they would, I think they would like cut open the lymphs on your thighs and Ugh. drain them and you had to take mercury. And yeah, it was not, it was pretty intense. And she wouldn't have had access to really good medical care. So right. that, and which means she probably wasn't attending to it. Yeah. Very, as, as well as she should have been, you know. So her mental health was not at, at, at its, at its best Either way, yeah. Uh, due to external and internal stressors, now uh, principal dude uh, actually wanted to help her open her own restaurant. He wanted to help her have a a life that that she could control, like a uh, good daddy. Yeah, <laughs> That's, there are certain tropes in sex work, uh-huh. and one of them is absolutely you have the people that that pay you by the hour and mm-hmm. you have people that become friends that kind of you know offer more intermittent support but for more general things it becomes less pay for play but my favorite my favorite uh, version of the daddy is the one that helps you start a business the entrepreneur daddy the entrepreneur daddy that's going to um <laughs> buy you a gym uh-huh. or a bar or a bookstore 
or something like that and yeah. help you start your own business. That sounds dope. Um, Cause I'm going to help you become a business lady. Like we're not already a fucking business, <laughs> sir. <laughs> what do you think I'm running asshole? <laughs> you think I you're my know. only customer? I, I could use a gym. That would be tight. <laughs> but you know, what I mean? I'm, I'm always like, oh, we've been entrepreneurs. That's how you found me, sir. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, yeah. It's more just that kind of the, the weird arrogance of like, I've been running a small business. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it pays better and there's no overhead because <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> like I am the factory that That's produces funny. the product. But yeah, like, so she gets in with this guy. Yeah. He's also kind of a cold fish in bed. So and she moves yeah. to Tokyo. Yeah. She moves back to Tokyo uh, and uh, decides to take up an apprenticeship at a restaurant in the Nakano district. And this is so she can she can figure out how restaurants really work. Yes. Because so, she's being pressured to open her own. Yeah. This restaurant is called the Yoshidaya. And uh, it was opened by Ishida uh, Kichizo, who had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Because uh, rumor has it, that his wife actually ran the restaurant. Right. And it, he just had his name on it and took all the credit. Right. Which is, I believe. He was, like, yeah. I mean, he was, like, there was, he instigated an affair with Sada and. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Yeah. And she was into it because he was so forward and aggressive and, and dashing and. Good bone structure. And powerful. Powerful man. Um, and they had really great sex, but the first time that they slept together, his wife was like, a customer needs you in the back room. <laughs> so Wait, wasn't it a- in the restaurant and they had a geisha singing, singing for them, like doing the, the soundtrack? I'm not sure. I, I believe. But, but like there happened. was like a, in one of the private rooms. So that would probably be where a geisha was. Uh-huh. Um, so many believe that the, that his wife fully understood that he was a womanizer and doing mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And. But why was, was she it? keeping him around? Just because the business needed a male head? Yes. Yeah. For I think. Public I think. Reasons? Yeah. I think. I think. To this day, there's still so much of that. That kind of where you see married people, where a lot of times, um, they need each other for different reasons that mm. have nothing to do with love hmm. or loyalty. They have to do with societal pressures and sort of public facing, um, image. That makes sense because. From everything I read, he didn't seem to have many enemies, even though he was fucking everyone. Right. So you would think if he was like a shady guy uh, that people would have been gunning for him. Well, again, too, I think that we have this really westernized notion of what goes on. And my grandfather is French, would always talk to me about, he's like, you know, infidelity isn't really frowned upon. It's, it's leaving your wife and kids. That's so funny. He's, he's, he was like, it's, it's understood that shit happens, you know, and, and that a lot that because, because men, men, men are going to men. Well, and that women are going to women. Yeah. That, that, um, rarely do people that a marriage is a contract to raise children and wealth. But in Japanese culture, infidelity was, was not, uh, it was frowned upon for women. Right. But not for men. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always frowned upon, like, because when we say that, we're like, meh. I mean, it's always frowned upon in terms of character, uh-huh. but in terms of social repercussions, way worse for women. Right. So it's like, oh, he's a scoundrel. So, like, socially, a man who cheats is still not, like, a great thing to be. You know, like, we don't view that as a, a sign of character. But in terms of actual social repercussions... Where like it's it's not that big of a deal, yeah. You know what I mean. So 
she's falls desperately in love with this guy. Right. They're having wild, crazy sex. Week, week long, two week long marathon sessions. Yeah. And they're doing like kinky shit. They don't even stop for the maids. Yeah. She's like for room service. So they, but that's the thing is they like to strangle each other. Yeah. They like to, they're, they're into all kinds of really kinky stuff. And, and for someone like her, I think this is like, this was the undoing, which is like someone that's constantly seeking stimulation mm-hmm. and seeking like full color extravaganza. I want to experience life at 65 miles per hour all the time. Like this is like a recipe for disaster right. because it's like a handsome man, powerful, fucks her real good. And is like pushing her boundaries, like asphyxiation. They start doing knife play, stuff yeah. like that. And he loves her anytime she's jealous. Like he's, he encourages this kind of, this sort of p- role play in which she's threatening to castrate him and stuff like that. And he, and he's, it's like for him, this is all just heightening the stakes of the sexual encounters. Yeah. Whenever he had to leave to go back to work, she would, she would go crazy and, and yeah. just drink herself silly. Yeah. And so it finally happens. So, <laughs> so uh, he'd been away for a few weeks, and uh, while he was gone, she saw a play. Uh, she she wanted to get her mind off her lover, and uh, the play happened to have a scene where a geisha uh, kills her paramour with a knife to prevent them from leaving, and uh, she thought, you know, that sounds like a good idea. She goes out and buys a knife. Right. Uh, the next time they're hooking up, she tells him, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut your junk off with a knife. This knife right here, if you don't stop fucking around with other people." And uh, he thinks that's amazing and super hot yeah. and incredible, and uh, that she's joking. <laughs> right. Well, I think she probably didn't know until the moment uh-huh. if, if she was gonna do it. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, so then she takes her Obi and she strangles him. Yeah. Uh, which they, they had done before, but she does it till he's dead. Right. And then uh, she cut his dick off. Mm-hmm. Also the balls. Not- yeah, and kept them in like, so a, a kimono, the sleeves actually act as pockets as right? well. Yeah. So she like <laughs> kept it in his pockets. She, so she, she the part of him that she loved the most. Yeah. She carved her name into his thigh. Right. And, uh, then so she, she wasn't trying to, hi- again, like when she was 15 and, yeah. and, and stole the jewelry, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. No attempt to hide the crime. Right. She wrote. She wrote, she wrote it on her the name. wall. Yeah. In, in blood. Like, yeah. Like just like dressing up in the kimono you just stole. Right. And all the jewelry you just stole, and then walking down the main street of the town when she's working as a maid and steals all the stuff. Yeah. Not even. I'm not trying to hide the crime. I am flaunting the crime. Well, she didn't even leave immediately after after she killed him. She tried to fuck the dead guy a few times before she cut cut his uh, his dick and balls right. off. Uh, and, uh, he was found the next morning by that poor housekeepers. I know. Tip your housekeepers. <laughs> Tip the maids at hotels. You have no idea the uh, shit they they've see. they've seen. Jesus. Who knows? I mean, I know. They're I know what I've first. left behind. So, <laughs> yeah. But, um, to me, what's most interesting, like, so that's, she gets, she's pursued. Yeah. She's, 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 on, she's, the, she's yeah. on the run. She plans a suicide. Is fails the suicide because people recognize her. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing that is interesting to me about the story. So she, there's a big trial. Yeah, like all this stuff comes out. You know, like it, it they, the, the transcripts themselves become like a book. They, mm-hmm. they bind it to a book and are selling it. There's like a craze, and and to me, what's more interesting is like she becomes like what she always wanted. Folklore. 
she becomes what she always wanted, which is just very important lady. Mm-hmm. You know, she is suddenly. This is the most sensational murder case, uh, probably in Japanese of the century in Japan, Japanese yeah. history. Yeah, one of them, and and so it's like she did kind of finally get what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trial was really interesting because they many historians they try for it, like why it was such a compelling you know, story for people. You know, when the cops found her, they weren't even looking for her. They were just checking. They were just doing a routine <laughs> check. And uh, like, she was like, it. don't you know who I am? <laughs> and they were like, no, what are you talking about? Because she had signed in under a, f- a false name and they just thought, oh, this name seems kind of weird. Let's check it out. Uh, and so she told them and they were like, no, no. And then she's like, no, I'll prove it. And then she pulls out, right. pulls out the, uh, can you imagine the in severed the junk. when they, when they, they presented his penis as evidence in the courtroom. Can you? <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I think that's, you know, that's why I say unreliable narrators, because then when she goes into confession, you know, she's like, I wanted to, I want to die. I, I confess everything's I wanted to, to the death penalty to be executed. Well, because she and, didn't want to be alive without him. Right. That's what she said. And, and I think the court was very clever and going like, nah, we'll give you six years because I think the court recognized that this was like yet again kind of it was a way of frustrating her desire essentially right. of going so it was like, more oh, of a you, punishment to not exactly kill her it's or like no you're we're gonna put her. you in jail for six years and then you're gonna die in obscurity and and infamy mm-hmm. because I think the court could see that that her whole life her real goal always was to be adulation a celebrity celebrated not a celebrity in that sense but celebrated. She wanted to be above her status. She wanted to be glamorous. She wanted to be beautiful. She wanted to, she had this vision for herself and being able to go out and be like, I loved him so much. I couldn't live without him. I was executed. It was a way it would have given her kind of a mythological status. And I think the court recognized that that was actually just kind of feeding into what was really a a narcissistic fantasy life Mm. that this woman had. You don't think she really loved him? I don't think that she was capable of experiencing love the way I think she was probably too damaged by her upbringing and her life to be able to experience love in that way because she had been a commodity her entire life. I don't think she would have been able to, I don't think she had the empathy required to, to truly love someone. I think she liked to get fucked. Hmm. I think she liked the excitement of someone powerful and handsome being interested in her and excited by her mm-hmm. and overwhelmed by her. Um, but at the end of the day, I think she killed him because she was angry at a world that always kept what she wanted at arm's length. She could only ever have this guy at two weeks at a time. And I think the murder was not about him. I think it was about society. I think she was mad at how unfair the world was that she just never quite got what she wanted. And even if she could have it, she could only have it in this really adulterated way. Mm. You know, like, so she was always just kind of getting table scraps. And I think it was, it was an attempt to just, I think it was somewhat, I think it was a lashing out at the world. You know, and I think it's very telling that she took his penis and was like the thing I loved most about him. But it was also the thing that held the most power over her her entire life mm. was men's dicks. Wow. You know, and so I think there was something very symbolic, even if she didn't appreciate it, there was something very symbolic in taking that part of him mm-hmm. was like, like, I control you now. And, and some historians say that the reason that Japanese women were so obsessed with her is because at a time when they couldn't express that kind of power. Right. She was someone that was. Like she had, she controlled her man. They couldn't control their men, but she fucking controlled hers. Like, you know what I mean? In like, every I mean, sense of the word. Yeah. Like there was like a romanticism to that. Like, 
like where Japanese women were sort of secretly like, oh, what's that like? Huh? That kind of, I mean, because it's going to end in jail and all this other stuff, but oh, but for that moment, that must have been amazing. Uh, his junk you know? was kept in a museum for a, a period of time until uh, it, it strangely disappeared shortly before uh, Abe went underground. Right. And supposedly someone found her in the 70s and she was like a Buddhist um, nun. Yeah, shaved head. Yeah. Supposedly. Celibate. But then it's, like, he also said that she like approved of his film. This is a, what, the, a filmmaker that in the realm of the senses. Uh-huh. A wild sort of 1970s Jack's Japanese sort of sexploitation kind of story of her life. Very oh. weird. Um, suppose that filmmaker went on to find her, you know, yeah. to show her get he wanted approval of what he had made of her life there were a lot of stories a lot of stories written about her uh an unauthorized biography that they tried to pass off as uh an official memoir an interview with her that she ended up um being really angry about yeah uh, and in response writing her own version of the story and it became a bestseller uh plays were based on it yeah movies. yeah there was, she wrote a play she put on a play it's like she did kind of yeah the play that was the most popular play that was based on it was starring her yeah playing herself yeah which is which wild. is not legal to do here you can't make money off your yeah your but even here. that law is very recent mm-hmm. that i think that was that went through in like the 80s yeah like that i think it had to do with um the serial killer the one that kept claim uh, not gacy but um not the the one that that kept claiming he'd killed like a like Maybe it was John Wayne Gacy, actually. Mm. It was we, either him or um, uh, Henry Lee Lucas. It was mm. one of those two. Oh, that right, was, yeah. That was, like, making money off of write, yeah. writing stuff. Yeah. And they, they found, like, they passed a law that said, like, you can't. I think what, maybe one of them was, like, selling his paintings from prison or mm-hmm. he was selling, he was, he was selling, I think it was Henry Lee Lucas was, like, selling news interviews or That's something. So and, like, funny. just getting, like, tons of money. And people were, family, families were like, No. So, so she, uh, she uh, at some point had a guy who she was really into. She was into him enough that she wouldn't tell anyone his his full name, uh, but his family found out who she really was, and they had to break up. Since then, no one knows if she ever got back into a relationship. Right. Uh, what what became of her? But she seems to have. She had a pretty good life after. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was. Yeah, she kind of became an icon, like a feminist icon in a way. I think it also is the dovetail of it's telling that the story, the movies about her came out in the 70s yeah. when after like the feminine mystique and like when feminist uh, thinking was really, I mean, it was starting to take hold in the 60s, but the 70s was definitely when feminism was really having like a moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been also like dovetailed with this this interest this later interest in the story, you know, which is like when, when she really became like iconic, mm-hmm. right. was, was in her, like, she would have been, gosh, like she would have been in her late sixties. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's because it was this reinterpretation through a feminist lens of, of all the things I've been talking about. Like, well, she was a sex worker and she was commodified her whole life and she was in a patriarchy. And so it made her actions seem like much more heroic. But I think at the end of the day, she was batshit crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I think all of those things made her crazy. Yeah, but- penicillin wasn't discovered until late later in her life. So if she yeah. ever found the cure, it, it wouldn't reverse the damage that had been done. So yeah, far. exactly. I mean, not everyone goes crazy, but like, and also the other thing is like, you know, it deteriorates your nasal passage. So like people get saddle nose. Mm. So she, as a, as a, as she grew, as she aged, she would have lost her looks pretty quickly mm-hmm. too, which I'm sure is, that probably explains the Buddhist nun thing. It's ah. like, because if you've been a commodity your whole life, like that's definitely something that's going to be 
the specter of, of losing the thing that, that makes you attractive to money. Yeah. But it's weird that a lot of uh, women like this, they disappear into like, they vanish. I, when I was doing my podcast, Ill Repute, there are a lot of the stories that ended with like, and then we don't know what happened. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, because because no one really cared what happened. <laughs> no to one women. cares when they're not pretty anymore. Yeah. Well, like no one ever really does follow up. You know what I mean? Because because these these stories only become interesting to us now. So it's it's like, but at the time it was just like, oh, what a scandalous bitch. Like fucking cover it up. Don't let anyone <laughs> don't want other people getting the same idea. Uh-huh. But there's so many men women that like did really cool shit, but in their time were considered very scandalous. And so as soon as the scandal died down, like no one wanted to talk about it. It was like, get it out of here, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's so many stories where it's like a scholar will go back 50 years later and be like, okay, I unearthed these birth records in like Nîmes, France. And it looks like she was a potter in her 60s. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where it's, it's like where uh-huh. someone takes an interest like 50, 100, 200 years later and like digs through archives for 10 years to find one little like you know record that's yeah. like, I, I think she married a, a stonemason over here. And um, one of them is Anne Bonny, you know, mm-hmm. it was one of the pirates where they're, they're, there's all this mystique around what happened to her, you know? Like, yeah. and there's all these stories like, oh no, she moved away, got married, had kids after like a life of piracy and crime and gold and money and like lesbianism and swashbucklery. Like she just kind of, again, slipped into history, just like disappeared like Hannibal Lecter at the end of a... Uh-huh. Silence of the Lambs just like disappearing into the crowd. Yeah. Wow. Women who kill. They're everywhere. <laughs> that was the incredible story <laughs> of Sada Abe. But look it up. Watch the movie. Uh, also, apparently, the there was like a version. porn version starring also Akira called Pure. That it's like like real porn or just like, like so real po- like real like porn. But I, I'm sure it's, I'm kind sure of. it's real porn. But hmm. I think it's I think it's um, it's like based on the story, but obviously because of the the it's the, not gory though, is it? Right, exactly because of the overtones of violence. It's probably limited in its right. scope of uh-huh. of what they can show. But apparently, it is credited somewhere. Uh, Pure, the movie Pure, starring Asa Akira, is credited as based on the life of Sada Abe. Oh wow! So yeah, might be something to look into. More look world's into most it. popular porn star. If you're old enough, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, if you're over 18 or 21 in some states. Sovereign, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about this. Thank you for having me. You just listened to episode 45 of Women Who Kill. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you want to support with your dollars, you can do that at patreon.com slash kaichoice, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash K-A-I-C-H-O-Y-C-E. Join the Women Who Illuminati. Get free things, access to bonus content. It's very much worth it. And if you want to send me an email, you could do that at wwkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.